what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. When Hosier wrote the song Take Me to Church in his attic in Ireland, he had no idea it would be used in protests by millions of people putting their lives on the line all over the world. Hosier will be here to reflect a little bit on the power of that song, to talk about his new album, which he wrote after reading one of the most famous poems in history. Hosier, coming up. Plus, the thing about grief is that it's not just sad, is it? Grief can be frustrating. Grief can be confusing. Grief can be funny? Fawn Parker, the poet from New Brunswick, will be here to read her new poem about the loss of her mother. And I'll be honest with you, it's all of those things at once. All that and more coming up on Q. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. The Irish songwriter Hosier, he's had kind of a wild decade. Back in 2013, he put out the song called Take Me to Church, and it kind of blew up. Here it is. Take me to church, So when I say it blew up, that's not really the point because, yeah, sure enough, it like sold a kajillion copies and, you know, big streaming numbers. That's not going to be the song's legacy. As I mentioned there, the song started being used in protests all around the world. Pro-LGBTQ plus rights protests in Russia and Hungary in the U.S. and here in Canada. It was used by victims of clergy abuse. I mean, most famously, and we talk about this a little later in, in the conversation, it was used during the protests in Iran. How do you handle that this song you wrote kind of quietly by yourself in your family home becomes this rallying cry for people that you've never met? People who are willing to you know, give up their lives and for the causes that they believe in. So we talk about that again like later in the conversation. We start out by talking about Hosier's new album. And that was inspired by the epic poem by Dante that came out in the 14th century. The music, by the way, sounds kind of um, hellscape-y. Maybe hellscape in that, like, the seventh circle of hell I've always imagined might have a dance floor on it. If you need a refresher on Dante's Inferno, we give you the Coles notes in the conversation. Uh, but here it is. Here's my chat with Hosier. How are you doing? How's, uh, how's the road been? Um, it's been good. It's been good. It's only just starting uh, about an eight-week tour here in, in North America. And um, But I've been on the road since March. We did a, cl- a few club, like a little club run in North America back in March, April. Um, so I feel like I've been on the road for a while. But just to play new music, to release the album is a, is a joy. I'm enjoying it. You're not road-weary? Not just yet. It's. I mean, sleep is, the, is always the hardest part, but it's like... I I think tour is best taken one day at a time. It's just, you know, and, but I'm enjoying it. You know, I really am. You're getting a bit of sleep. Can you sleep on the bus? You're awful tall to sleep on the bus. Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I can, I've, I've a climb, I've kind of 
acclimated to it now. Yeah, so I'm 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 getting some some snooze. That's sure. all. That's all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was sent here by your family yeah, yeah, to make yeah. sure you were. Are you well. eating enough? Are you yeah. eating well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can we, can, uh, uh, Dante's Inferno. Uh, when I found out you had a new record, um, and I saw that some of it was inspired by by uh, reading the the epic poem. Yeah. What's going on? Were you? What, how did this come into your life? I think there's the part of me that was. Um, as like the college dropout voice in me was like, geez, all, there's all these things that I didn't read and didn't study. But also just having an interest in lyricism, having an interest in poetry. There's all these epic poems that I did want to read for a long time and then didn't really have the time over tours, etc. So when I came off the road and then the pandemic began, I had all of these 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 books that I kind of wanted to dip into. Some of it was some of it was like uh, was Homer or Ovid, some kind of Greek poetry. Um, I'm a big fan of Seamus Heaney, so his mm. translation of Beowulf. Um, and then um, there's all of these very universal t- sort of timeless themes that come in and out of those poems all the time. But uh, Dante's Inferno was something I was always interested in. And just it's any time I'd read a passage, I always just wanted to get closer to what, what was being said in, in that and, and what that story was about. I think what resonated in the first few months, so it was like March, April, May, I was kind of s- spending just taking slow mornings, like dipping in, in and out of that. Um, there's this imagery in it that's that's at a time of such uncertainty and, and such such being kind of thrown into such uncertainty. I felt like there was a great deal of potential loss in those first early months of the pandemic. This kind of loss that was hanging over us. I was watching relationships f- uh, fall apart because the context in which they had existed fell apart. The context in which we understood how to socialise, how we go about our daily lives changed in a moment. Jobs were being lost. People were at risk of losing people dear to them. But there's this line at the, and as he enters into hell um, above the doorway, there's that long passage, Abandon All Hope. And at the, one of the first lines of that longer passage is through me, referring to the doorway, you enter into the population of loss. And it just it felt it felt like in, in that moment, it, it resonated with me that we'd, we'd I felt collectively we were all sort of entering into this space of great potential loss, great, great change. And either way, we were on on path into something that we were that we were seeing through and, and, and coming through. And uh, um, parts of it continued to sort of resonate with me. I just wanted to credit that in some way. It seemed odd to come out of that three year period and all of these experiences that I had and not nod in some way to something of a journey into something and out the other side and structuring the album into nine circles or nine themes uh, seemed like a way to at least nod to that, acknowledge that. Yeah. Well, I suppose I sh- I sh- what I should do is for people who aren't as, or like have sort of an idea of it, and geez, this is a very s- scary thing to do, but I'll, I'll do my best on it. You can please help me out. What, what you're referring to there is that in the in the epic poem, um, Dante is, is guided by Virgil into the nine circles of hell. So that's the different circles that you're talking about. And, yeah. it, and every step along the way, he sort of meets the different people who have been condemned, right? Yeah, yeah. He meets, he meets the population uh, of hell as Dante, the poet, the Italian poet in the Mid, in the mid, you know, kind of middle ages. Um, a lot of it's specific to Florence, a lot of it's specific to, to his region of Italy. But exactly, it's, it's, this, it's his telling of, it's, I think it starts off somewhere along life's journey, somewhere along life's paths. I found myself in this, at this crossroads. He, 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 he falls into circumstances not meaning to, and he has to walk through it. He, um, and Virgil is this spirit, this other poet, 
this shade or this spirit that guides him through it and he walks through hell and in in the way he describes hell he describes it as being nine circles where these different where these different sort of things are being punished in and arranged into nine circles um so yeah so there there is I, it just seemed it 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 resonated with me this you know, i see it you know i see that 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 uh, the only way out was through with this with with those days of the pandemic. Yes. You know? Yeah. Exactly. There exactly. was the only the only way to get the only way out of what we were dealing with was to just kind of push on and and, and look after one another. Yeah. 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 Well, well, let's let's play a song so we can talk about sort of like the 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 personal and the universal or like the text textural and the, and the universal. Take a listen to this. So that's the song, Francesca, from uh, Hosier's record, Unreal on Earth. Hosier's in the studio with me right now. So let's do that. Let's do the text first, and then we'll maybe we'll do the the universal part of it. Not to yeah. feel like you're on a quiz show here. Yeah, but. for sure. So so text wise, this is someone, Francesca and Paolo. Yeah, Paolo. Yeah, is um, someone who Dante meets on the way. He, it is, and they're real historical figures that that are that are based in fact. They they did exist, um, and Dante knew of them from his time in Florence or from, from his kind of community in Florence. So Francesca de Rimini is this daughter of a like, kind of like a nobleman or a, like a person of, 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 of note in Florence. And she was sort of offered in a kind of political or, or, or a wed- or marriage of interest to a much, much older man when she was a child, when she was maybe, I think, 12 or in her very, very young teens. What we would, what we, we would consider nowadays a child marriage. Mm-hmm. And she ended up to a much older man who was 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 um, quite unwell, and she ended up falling in love with his brother who was younger, and they had a love affair, and when the husband found out, he murdered them both, uh, in this t- t- murdered them both together, and so Dante, on uh, one hand, laments and sort of weeps over that love could you know could could bring them to this one death. Um, as he describes it, and put them in hell. But at the same time, Dante also makes the decision that in his it, he decides to immortalize these two characters as uh, of as members of the population of hell that they that they um, that they're there together. So there's this. Mm. There's, they're there together. They, they are there together. Yeah. yeah. So he describes them as being, and it's as a, as a hurricane. So something I wanted to capture in this song is this sort of feeling of this hurricane at the end. There's this big sort of climactic um, ending to, to to that song to Francesca. But he describes that he comes across one of the first things he sees is this. In, what he, he calls these people oppressed by dark air or oppressed by black air they're trapped in a hurricane and they're tossed around the caverns of hell forever for having been swept off their feet in real life so he, he sees in this hurricane he recognises Cleopatra he recognises Tristan and Isolde he sees all of these lovers from history and their crime of passion their crime of lust having brought them here so they, they, they engaged in some carnal act that, that brought them to hell So 
So that's the text. Yeah. And then there's also, I think when you approach something like this, something that's written in the Middle Ages by a, by a sort of a fundamentalist Catholic mind yeah. uh, of the Middle Ages. Yeah. It's also, it's also walking this sort of um, fine ground between, okay, well, what does this mean to me or how do I? So it's, it's trying to. And what does it mean to you? Well, I think p- part of the intention is also to, to ameliorate, to um, sort of ameliorate their conditions a little bit and have the characters who um, are, are kind of crying in this, in this scene. Paolo is, is, doesn't speak in this scene, he's silent. He's just weeping the whole time. So I think the intention is to turn those tears into tears of joy and to remove the element of punishment from this and say, well, this is no punishment whatsoever. I would make that decision time and time again. Um, and to kind of uh, not undermine, but just approach with my own sensibilities that scene and try to try to take the sting out of it, take to take the um, because there is the fictional Francesca and there's the real Francesca who was who was sold in a child marriage and, and murdered for this kind of one act of, of, of freedom that she took for herself. But then there's also you. Then there's also you taking your own experiences and your own love and your everything like that and, and yeah. then and putting yourself into them. That's the third version of that. You know? yeah. You're know, you putting yourself into it. And I'm assuming that, again, the song that you wrote is not here is this. You're not the bard at the beginning of Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you a tale. Let me tell you a tale. You know, you're not singing a ballad here. Yeah. You're 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 obviously putting your own experiences into this as well. Actually, yeah. You know. Yeah, and it was it was a song that I wrote for somebody who was going through um, a difficult time, and um, and so yeah, there is the personal. There's the personal in there, and I think that that was the challenge of a lot of these songs, and a fun challenge, and sometimes a difficult one, but having that the song exists in the everyday of, of my life or it reflects my experience but then and, and so walks above ground some you know with me so to speak but then has a life below ground and references the fictional and references the mythological you know and, and I tried to do that with some of these songs It sounds like you were trying to challenge yourself with your songwriting this time around Yeah for sure I think it's always I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to um, a little bit at least to some degree uh you know, shoot off a little branch in another direction that I haven't quite explored. And um, but in this one, it was yeah, it was um, it was it was super fun because it, there's there's little references like in Francesca. It is just a love song, and you know, just but th- those who want to dig, you know, no pun intended, they can they can <laughs> they can dig and see see what it's what it's referencing. You got at least eight circles or nine circles if you want to start digging. You can, yeah, you can yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you have to go down a while. Let's listen to another song in the record. Take a listen to this. New album Unreal Unearth. Uh, that is my guest Hosier. That's the song Damage Gets Done with uh, Brandy Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that song. Yeah, that was one that was one of one of the so th- for the first time on the on this album, I kind of opened the the making of 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 the music with some some producers of just sitting jamming and creating a, a soundscape, and then I would take that soundscape that we had sort of forged together and then run away with the with the uh, recordings why were you feeling some writer's block were you feeling it was more no i think at that stage at that stage i had recorded a huge amount of material and i had emptied my pockets of a lot of stuff that 
honestly, we're, we're going to find a way to release next year too. Mm. Um, so I kind of re- ended up recording about two albums worth of material. Wow. In this, in this, across the process. But I just opened myself up to, to sort of, once my pockets were, were, I had sort of processed a lot of the stuff and recorded a lot of the stuff that I wanted to get out. I had never jammed. I hadn't jammed with other musicians since I was maybe 15 or 16 years old. So you were in like uh, jammy rock bands when you were 15? I was, I was, yeah. I would have jammed with, yeah, a lot of guys and and when I was 15, 16. Covers and that kind of stuff? Covers and stuff, It's a lovely feeling. It's a totally, yeah, it's something I'd missed. And so it was really just the experience of jamming. We would jam for a while and and then we would record those jams and I'd sort of take, take those recordings back to an Airbnb or a hotel and in some in some instances find find a thread or find where the song was was going you know if I'd barked melodies down a mic during the jam or if I'd you know um and then sort of carve out what the song was but in, in that is 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 one that that kind of just came came about it sort of falls into the circle of greed and, and it's just this the theme being like arriving to a point and in, uh, to a, to a feeling of disillusionment and and uh, and this 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 voracious sort of the more that I get the less the less fulfilled I am that sort of feeling. Um, but Brandy Carlisle it, it was it's, it's a good friend of mine, um, somebody I've gotten to know over the last few years, and there was something about the song that always felt like a duet to me. It always felt like a. Uh, like a two voice thing trying to capture that classic sort of power ballad thing that's singing out in this sort of this sort of runaway song um, and yeah I just shared it with her in, in her crazy crazy schedule to see if, if she would be up for hopping on it and we we just traded lines on it it was really really enjoyable the um, I'm not I said this to to someone the other day on the show. I'm not Dr. Phil. Like I'm not. I don't have any degrees. But there's something you just said that stuck out to me, and I wanted to make sure I raised it and just offered you the opportunity to to elaborate on it if you'd mm-hmm. like. I mean, you said you know I was looking into the idea of of greed and the idea of the the the, the circle involving greed, and and you said. Um, I was interested in exploring that the the more I have, mm-hmm. the less I have. Or mm-hmm. The more I the more I have, the, mm-hmm. le- the less I am, or something like yeah. that. Mm. It goes without saying. I just want to acknowledge it that you have gone from like playing in rock bands when you're 15, and last time you were here, you and I talked about singing in a choir together, mm-hmm. like when we were like youngsters, yeah. to becoming now you're playing like the, I think you're playing the biggest stage in all of Canada tonight. Mm-hmm. Things have gotten very big for you, right? You see the connection that I'm making here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, and there's two things at, at that. There, there is obviously going back to the text. There's there's part of how how Dante describes the spirit of greed, and he he approaches. He actually comes face to face with it in one of the very first cantos, the very beginning, where and it's what drives what what forces him off the path. He's confronted by greed, uh, greed of the world. And that's what he, nearly the root of all of the evils that he sees is happening in, in maybe his in his town of Florence and all the root of a lot of that corruption. And it takes form of a wolf that he says hungers with the hunger of all, I think, all of mankind. And the more that it eats, the hungrier it gets. Yeah. Um, so it's there's there's that. But there is a, also in the personal, there is you are contended with um, when you arrive to any point 
of what you thought would would be your place of fulfillment. You being a big music star. Or me being a music star. I just mean one. You know, when one arrives to any any place. But I have contended also with, uh, of course, with the question of, well, where, where does the fulfillment come from? Because it's if it's not from like any anything, if if it's if you you arrive to a point where yes, people people can tell you, hey, good job on that, that's a good song, or you you know your work is 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 meaningful or valuable or whatever. Um, there's different ways that we mark reward um, or success or whatever, but fulfillment is something very very different, I think. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I have, I have contended with that for sure. Yeah, me too. I think, I think, yeah, yeah everybody yeah. does. Yeah. You know, and, and you find your own peace, and it's, it's tricky because you know, you, you follow a picture in your mind, you follow an image yeah. of what that place will look like, and then you arrive there, and you, and you find the picture suits, but the, the, it's not, it's there's something missing. It's terrifying, actually. It's yeah. quite scary to think that I, I thought this was the thing that was going to make all my problems go away. Yeah. I thought this was the thing that was going to make me just check the box of life and it's not it. It's, and I have to, I have to either find out what it is or I have to give up on trying to find it. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's you realign, you have to realign a lot of things and reconsider a lot of things. And, and it's a good, it's a good question to be, it's a good question to confront because there's, there's people out there who never confront it. You know what I mean? Who just keep who keep chasing, yeah. and we'll, we'll, you know, um, yeah. So it, it is. It's it's for sure. But I think everybody can ar- arrive at that. You know? There's more of my conversation with Hosier coming up in just a minute. But here's a track off his brand new album. This is called Francesca. Do you think I'd give This made a shook a love from me That I was on the brink How could you think Darling, I'd scare so easily Now that it's done There's not one thing From his new album, Unreal Unearth, that is Hosier and Francesca. Coming up, more of my conversation with Hosier. And he talks a little bit about the impact of his massive song, Take Me to Church. Plus, a conversation with the New Brunswick poet, Fawn Parker, after this. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, Here, There and Everywhere. Listen to Season 2 of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the Irish singer-songwriter Hosier. If you're not familiar with Hosier, I'll tell you how big he is. So we taped this conversation, I don't know, like four or five hours before he played to a sold-out crowd of 16,000 people 
in Toronto. And that show sold out in like five minutes. Earlier in the show, I was telling you a little bit of Hosier's story that he grew up in Ireland. And 10 years ago, he wrote and released the song that really changed his life. It was called Take Me to Church. Sold millions of copies, became a big hit. But more importantly, and also more interestingly, it's had a big impact on activists internationally. It's been used as a song of protest against clergy abuse in the Catholic Church. It's been embraced by the pro-LGBTQ plus movements in places like Russia and Hungary and the U.S. and here in Canada. But the song made news last year, you might remember, when it became a protest song in Iran under the most tragic of circumstances. And that's where we pick up the second part of my conversation with the Irish songwriter Hosier. sure you have found some fulfillment in what some of your music has meant to other people. You know, I'm thinking in particular about your uh, Take Me to Church song. Um, and it was um, it was inspired by a lot of people. I want to talk a little bit about how it's been used over the years, kind of outside of you. Um, I have the clip, but I don't know if I want to play it for you, just because I think it might be a bit hard for you to listen to, of um, a 16-year-old Iranian vlogger, Serena Esmei Zadeh, her singing your song, Take Me to Church. And that video of her singing it went viral shortly after she was killed during a protest in Iran. She'd been demonstrating against the killing of a young woman. Amnesty International said she was beaten by Iranian security forces. I can tell right now I probably am not going to play the song for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I wouldn't, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, you know I, wouldn't, I wouldn't protest that you do, or, you know, um, I think it's really important that her her voice is, is heard. Well, can can we can we do it? Yeah, please, absolutely, yeah. So, um, she's Andrew. I don't know what to ask. Um, what what goes through your head with all of them? Yeah, I think um, uh, I'm confronted by a lot of things, and when that it's a it's a year ago since since her murder, um, I was confronted with a lot of things. But but first of all, it was just how easy it was for me to write that song, and and sing that song, um, and have no understanding of. And and I from my place of the world, my place in the world, uh, my generation, the generation that I was born into, in the time that I was, the license that I had to write it and sing it in the time that I that I and and place that I that I existed in when I wrote it, and will never have, and do not have now, may never, um, most likely will never understand the bravery and the courage that it takes uh, to be in Serena's place in the world uh, or to, to live her life and to engage in a peaceful protest uh, for what she engaged in the simple um, right to, to wear her hair uh, display her hair in a public place and, and, and such a thing she paid the ultimate price for that so, um, so I don't think any of us in our in our part of the world, we don't understand what that's like, what sort of, what courage you have to mount uh, to do that. And so for me, the singing of that song, there's such a, there's such a huge distance between my, between 
what I was um, responding to and in some ways, yeah, railing against in the conceptual and then what she, she was fighting for in the actual. I know what you mean now. The, 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 you wrote this, I think, by yourself in the basement or something like that? Yeah, I was, I was at home. I was, yeah, in my, in my family home, yeah, in the attic, yeah. And um, the things that you were singing about were conceptu- conceptual. They I'll, were, yeah, I'll never be at risk of losing my life yeah. uh, for protesting against theocratic, uh, the legacy of theocratic uh, rule or the matrix of thought of, of, of you know theocracy and yes the church has a legacy in, in the, the Roman the institutionalized Roman Catholic Church has a deeply harmful legacy that has cost has cost lives in Ireland and mm-hmm. um, cost the lives of many children many babies um, destroyed destroyed lives through its, its legacy of abuse etc um, but the the bravery and the courage of, of in, 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 in Serena's context yeah. that, it, that it takes, you know, it's very, very different. What's, what's on the line in, in her act of protest is, is very, very different. So it's... You sound quite honoured. I, I, yeah, and, and levelled and sort of hu- like humbled in a way that's like, like um, again, I will never, I'll never have to experience. I am honoured, but I'll never have to experience. I will never be put in a position where I, I'm at risk of losing what Serena lost yeah. in in um, pushing back against a theocratic force like that. That's so, that is backed up by the, the promise of violence. You know? but, it's, it's, but overall, it's, it's amazing to see what's happened to that song. And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking about streaming numbers. I'm talking about you have uh, folks protesting in, in Russia listening to that song I mean, and singing that song. You have folks who are, are fighting for LGBTQ plus rights in America singing that song. You do, as, as you mentioned uh, appropriately, you have you know, victims of, of clergy abuse in Canada um, singing that song. I can't imagine what that must feel like, Andrew. Because you yeah. just wrote it. It's just something you wrote. Yeah. Um, and it felt like I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a global view when I was writing it as a 22, 23-year-old man. I was writing it as an Irishman with the, with the largely with, in, in view of the, of the legacy in, in Ireland. And yeah, I, I suppose the church's legacy, its institution, the institutions of the Roman Catholic Church, their legacy across the, the wider world, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But um, what's funny to me is that it seems in our part of the world it seems more applicable now than it did ten years ago. And some some minor criticisms that I got at that time was, I mean, the music video f- focused on what was happening in Russia at the mm-hmm. time, um, and Russian state media was sort of doing this whole campaign that that tried to equate uh, child abuse with with people of the LGBT. Yeah. plus spectrum um, so they put in they put it in the same bracket of laws as uh, with bestiality and paedophilia and that and that was a, that was a state campaign that led to this horrendous uh, rise of attacks by very uh, far right gangs th- that filmed these attacks and put them on social media with impunity they didn't censor their faces they would lure youths LGBTQ plus youths into places pretending to be other uh other youths of the LGBTQ plus community, they would attack them, film those attacks, and then place them on social media. Um, that was what the music video back then was about. And the criticism that I faced, mild criticism, was, hey, this is not 
this is happening somewhere else in the world. Why make a big fuss about it? Is is this not a bit of a straw man for, to what's you know to our to our you know that's not what's happening here? And increasingly, you know, in, in the last in the next in the last ten years, um, we've we've witnessed some of that that culture kind of cross borders, which is exactly what I, I said or I feared would happen, or was exactly my response, was in, in, in the online spaces, there is, it's, we live in a borderless world. And when it comes to rhetoric, when it comes to misinformation, we live in, a, in an increasingly borderless world. Ten years later, we've, we've places within the Un- European Union that are like gay-free zones, mm. self-described gay-free zones mm. in cities, LGBTQ plus free zones. Mm. You have militias, armed Militias waiting outside of of queer gay spaces, mm-hmm. outside, outside of drag shows. Um, th- there's a there's a there's a serious threat of violence hanging o- over a, a gesture like that. Um, uh, so, and it's it's not always a threat either. You know, we've you've seen um, hate hate crimes on on the rise here in Canada as well, for sure. In, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so in 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 ways, what what strikes me is is that song is is sadly more applicable now than it was 10 years ago i guess for, for in our in our part of the world but yeah i'm getting uh, i'm getting the rap but i, I want to give you an opportunity to to end on an, on at least another note or at least on some kind of conclusion and maybe I'll, I'll end on all these things we talked about um are you able to are you able to have them not i don't know if interfere is the right word are you still able to write songs in a way that feels authentic to you yeah and i think that's so now, I had to do a whole process around that because I think when you write something that people connect with in a way that is, um, that becomes larger than, it becomes bigger than yourself a little bit. It becomes like a, a song that people, um, maybe it becomes something that, that, that is part of their rallying to something or, it, or it, they feel it, it captures part of their experience or it speaks to some part of their experience. There is, there is a process um, that that I have felt myself having to to just to realign myself with with my with myself in place and time, and to make sure that what I am writing feels authentic and feels that I'm I'm as best I can be, just a, a witness as to the world as I see it, and can and try to continue to do so. And when I do that, and when I sit in step with myself, or I, or I walk in step with myself, and try to be present and try to be try to you know, um, clear from my field. Mm. And this is difficult because I I, want to say this sensitively, but what I think people's expectations are of me, you know, uh, uh, that's when I can tune back into what it is that I, I need to make, you know. Well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you, you, you still can, and I'm I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, I've so much more to talk to you about next time you come in, but uh, a great joy to have you as always. And, and thanks for coming in. Thank you. A pleasure to talk again. Darkness so deep. That's a song called DeSelby Part 1 from Hosier's 
new record, Unreal Unearth. A great joy to have Hosier or Andrew Hosier Byrne in our studio. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. When Fawn Parker's mother became diagnosed with terminal cancer, poetry became the way she processed it. Fawn Parker is a Canadian writer. You might know her novel, What We Both Know. It was longlisted for the Giller Prize in 2022. That's Canada's most prestigious literary prize. So Fawn's just released her first collection of poetry, and it's called Soft Inheritance. And part of it is about that grief she experienced. I mean, it goes through her mother's journey with cancer from her mastectomy to chemotherapy to her, her death in 2019. Soft inheritance is about what's left behind when the people in our lives go and about how complicated grief can be. And my favorite part of this conversation is that Fawn and I, who both have have lost parents, talk a little bit about, I guess, all the different emotions that you feel. It's not just pure sadness that you feel when you experience grief. Fawn joined me from Fredericton, New Brunswick, to talk a little bit about her new collection. And my favorite part is to read a poem from the collection at the end. Here's my conversation with Fawn Parker. Fawn, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thanks for asking. Uh, I really loved your collection. Thank you. Thanks for reading it. Tell me about your mom. Yeah. um, She was a lawyer, and then she quit law and became a Pilates instructor. Wow. So, yeah, a bit of an eclectic woman, um, but probably the smartest person I've ever met and hilarious. She was kind of often compared to Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld. (laughs) Quick. She was quick. (laughs) Yes, very quick. What else can you tell me about her? Um, When did she start to get sick? Well, it was interesting. She was sort of sick my whole life in different ways. There was always something um, and never really anything diagnosable until 2018 was when she was first diagnosed with breast cancer. And I think because of that, because I had this experience of her always having something physical that was, you know, ailing her, um, it just didn't feel real or it didn't feel like it was going to progress. And Unfortunately, that time she was diagnosed with stage two, and then it just progressed to terminal stage four. Right. You felt like, oh, okay, well, mom mom got diagnosed with cancer, but mom's always kind of sick and everything kind of stays the same. So everything will probably be all right. Yeah. Well, I think I had this delusional idea that there were dead parent people and then there was everybody else, sort of like <laughs> divorced parent kids in school. And I became one of those and I was like, no way, me? And then I became a dead parent person, too. And I thought that you sort of innately knew from birth you were going to be one of those people and evidently not. I've never told this story in the video before, but I I know what you mean. I remember driving to the palliative care unit with my brother to when my dad was sick. And I Mm. remember looking at him and going, we're going to be dead parent people. We're going to be we're going to be those people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How long from diagnosis till when she passed? It was about two years. And I think the the majority of it was not so bad. I mean, I'm sure for her it was horrific, yeah. but it wasn't terminal diagnosed until the end. And then it kind of happened quickly. Was poetry your way of, of processing all this? Yeah, more or less poetry and fiction. I think that's how I process pretty much everything in my life. Why do you think you turned to poetry around that time? I think it was a way of being emotional. I would say I'm sort of a person who doesn't process my emotions in the moment very well, especially not then. Maybe now I'm a little bit better at it, but it was a way of sort of free expressing without the pressure of another person looking. I always feel like I can't emote when someone's staring at my face. And so poetry is kind of like sort of, you know, smoke and mirrors to hide behind. Were you surprised by what you were writing about? Definitely. Yeah. I think when it first happened or even leading up, I was just numb to the whole thing. 
And then I kept thinking, okay, when she dies though, like I'm just going to fall apart. And then she died and nothing really happened. You know, it was, it was very sad. The world, but the world um, didn't end. No, the world didn't end. And people were just walking to work with Starbucks in their hands. And I was inside just feeling nothing. Um, but then the poems were extremely emotional. And I think that was when I confronted that disparity in myself and how I experience emotion. Right. You 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 saw that you were sort of feeling nothing, feeling kind of numb yeah. inside the house. And then you would sit down to write these poems and you would say, oh, wow, I'm I'm really hurting. Or I, you know, this is, I, I can see my emotions come out this way. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't really saying those things to people or even sitting and thinking them. They would just only sort of come out that one way. Is, is there something to read into the fact that like, I know you as a novelist, like I mentioned uh, what we both know, the novel from 2022. Mm-hmm. Is there something to read into that this came out through poetry and not through fiction? I think so. I think because I identify as a novelist, there's a bit more freedom in poetry. And I don't feel like the pressure is on in the same way. I'm even, you know, I'm doing a PhD in fiction. And so my career, my education, my reputation are all novels and book length fiction. And then the poetry feels like a place I can kind of just breathe and not worry I think if I never sell a poetry book, that's, you know, that's not as hard on the ego for me as novels. <laughs> is there, <laughs> is there something, I mean, I'm always nervous about saying this word when it comes to this kind of stuff, but uh, like therapeutic or, or cathartic about writing the poetry about this, about your mom? I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel your similar hesitation, but I do agree. And I think especially writing about therapy was very interesting. This poem uh, that I'm going to read later is about exposure therapy And so it's almost, you know, you're processing in the therapy itself, you're processing in the poetry and writing, and then processing afterwards, reading it back to myself. So I think all of it kind of comes together as this nebulous therapeutic experience. Yeah, the reason I I, I hesitate is because someone very wise once said to me, he said, um, art isn't therapy, art is Mm -hmm. therapeutic. Therapy is therapy. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree. And I think Art can be a kind of therapy that can sometimes do more harm than good, but it depends. Well, in, in this case, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got something out of it. Um, the poem mm-hmm. you're going to read today is called Woof. Yep. Like the sound a dog makes, woof. Absolutely. Tell me, you, you hinted at it just then, but tell me more about what it's about. Yeah, so it was about my experience of doing exposure and response prevention, which is a kind of therapy used for OCD. And a lot of my grief is what they call complicated grief, or at least was for a a number of years, um, which is when things don't go well. And so one of the issues I had was I was holding on to all of my mother's possessions down to like packs of gum and grocery lists. And it was just not okay. But there was this one sofa in my living room that she sort of spent her dying months on. And that became very difficult for me to even let people sit on, you know, I would like clean it every day. Um, And so I wrote a poem about this experience of a therapist working with me to try to let go of this sofa, which is funny because I'm looking at it right now as I say this. (laughs) (laughs) So it's still there. Bit of a spoiler alert there. Yeah, Yeah, poetry is not that therapeutic. (laughs) Okay, so you were working with, I'm guessing, a real life therapist who works in exposure therapy. A lot of people go through exposure therapy for various things in your life. And he was trying to relate to you and trying to help you sort of um, get rid of some of the things that have belonged to your mom. Yeah, he also had some history with trauma and he had this fear of dogs that was very severe after being attacked by a dog. And so that was his way of relating to me, which is not funny at all that that happened to him. But I just thought there was some humor in the way he tried to 
combine those two experiences. Yeah, I really, I really got a lot out of that part of the poem. Well, listen, how about we stop talking about it? And I, I'd love for you to, to read it for us. Um, sure. From her new collection of poetry, Soft Inheritance, Fawn Parker and her poem, Wolf. The exposure therapist says he understands me. At 15, he was attacked by a dog. He too hoarded small anxieties. He too remained indoors. He hung a muzzle from his bedroom doorknob, slotted his keys between his fingers and made a fist. In midlife, he has learned to let go. We speak over the phone and I imagine him perfect or covered in scars. It depends how my day is going. I describe the sofa to him in great detail. It is stuffed with down, ornate, white, and firm. It is where my mother died. Not exactly where my mother died, but dying can take time. He asks for more, says he cannot picture it, but almost. What do you like so much about it, he says, though he knows it is not about the sofa, as it was not about the dog. He's never heard of Joan Didion when I tell him she kept her dead husband's shirts in her closet in case he needed them again. The exposure therapist makes me unwrite a painting of a naked woman, soft and asleep. For 40 minutes, I look at the thing, crooked, and then we say goodbye. When I vomit during a session, he says, good. Some people think their heads are going to explode. When he was 15, they let him stand in the doorway while they injected a substance into the dog that did it. This, he says, is when he first fell in love with exposure and response prevention. He says, unlike him, I never got the closure of seeing the body or of seeing the body go into the ground. He tells me he's forgiven himself. He forgives me too, even if I don't. For what, I ask. The exposure therapist has two dogs who bark in the background of our calls. See, he says, I'm not lying about this stuff. He makes me poke a pin through a sofa cushion. He makes me rip up my mother's journals, break her plates over my knee. He says I shatter glass with a sense of timid preservation. He says I clean up my messes too soon after our calls. He is insatiable, knowing what he knows about the sofa. You do this, he says, and you won't need me. The pills didn't work, and neither did the talking, and the talking. I have to drag the sofa to the curb. But, I ask him, what if I'm not looking when they come to take it away? It's Fawn Parker reading her poem, Wolf Fawn joined me from Fredericton, New Brunswick. Thank you so much for being here, Fawn. Thank you for having me. It was great. Her new collection of poetry, Soft Inheritance, is out now. That's it for the show today. Tomorrow on the show, my conversation with John Carney, who alongside uh, the songwriter Glenn Hanser, they were behind that movie Once, which went from being like a micro-budget indie Irish film to winning an Academy Award. He's had a lot of success since then, but he has this new movie called Flora and Son, and he does something very challenging. Eve Hewson is in it, who is Bono from U2's daughter, and she has said publicly she will never, ever sing in a movie. And he 
talk nerd into it. And he'll be here to tell you how. All right. So uh, if you want to get in touch with me, Q at CBC.ca. I'm still coming barely holding on here. Q at cbc.ca. On Instagram, I'm at Tom Joe Power. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.